let's start with prayer and then we're going to jump into this episode, which I think is my favorite. I go back and forth because that's a big decision to make. What's your favorite chosen episode? But I think this is the one. So there's a lot to talk about. Okay. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so today is the Wedding Feast at Cana episode. And obviously there's a ton to talk about with Mary. And this is the first time we see uh, Mother Mary in The Chosen. And so there's a lot to talk about with Mary and with the Wedding Feast. But I don't want to jump back and forth like as a recap because I'm assuming you've all seen the episode. So I just want to touch on a few different things and then we'll talk about the wedding. So we're not going to go, you know, the episode goes from Mary and the wedding, you know, the wedding prep back to Nicodemus and John the Baptist and to Jesus and to Simon. And and so we're just going to cover a few things and then we're going to talk about the wedding rather than jumping back and forth the way they do in the episode, which I really like. I like that. But for our purposes, we're going to talk about a few characters and then we'll get into the wedding. So we have more with Nicodemus and John the Baptist here. Um, So we kind of ended with Nicodemus confronting John the Baptist because he needs answers. And so he has this conversation with John the Baptist. And just to highlight a few different things, um, it's very full of biblical imagery. You know, John's quoting Proverbs 30. He kind of quotes what to us might be kind of an obscure text. Um, And he says, you know, what do you think of? And he even quotes. So if you look up Proverbs 30, um, you know, he says this name that none of us probably recognize. I think the filmmakers actually did this on purpose that, of course, John the Baptist is going to kind of reference this kind of obscure biblical prophecy. Um, but he said the word. So the way Proverbs 30 starts is the words of Agur, son of Jacob of Massa. Um, and so it's just interesting, like, of course, John the Baptist pulls this kind of random, you know, who's ascended to heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fists who's wrapped up the waters in a garment, who's established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely, you know. So he references this. Um, Nicodemus doesn't really know how to take John. Right. Um, And the other thing I want to kind of quote is that, or point out is um, I love when um, they talk about the making straight, the roads. We're all probably familiar with that in Isaiah 40 that makes straight the road, you know, make straight the paths, the highway for our God. But that is, so while it's a biblical prophecy, it's, it's a prophetic word of John and his role to make way the straight of the King, make straight the path for the King. It also is a historical fact. So it happened historically that that's what they would do. They would make smooth the roads. So um, I like that they bring that out. So, um, we see John getting excited when he realizes this stuff is being put in motion. Obviously, that's kind of the theme of today's episode is that this stuff is being put in motion. Um, and we see that with Jesus's public ministry being put in motion. So um, so John sees he's like, OK, if he's doing if he's doing these things quietly, he's going to be doing them publicly soon. So John's been waiting for this. Right. He's baptized Jesus. He knows Jesus. Nicodemus is like, do you know him? And he's like, you could say that. Right. He's my cousin. Um, and so we see this excitement that this is happening, that now is the time. Um the little foreshadowing 
that um, that banter about that sentence where Nicodemus is kind of upset that um, the Romans are getting involved in a Jewish dispute, right? He doesn't like the fact that the Romans put John in, in prison, thanks to our friend Shmuel. Um, and so he says, um, it, if you've broken Jewish law, it sets a terrible precedent for Rome to educate. So adjudicate. So, um, so there's that. And then John throws it back at him towards the end of the episode, right? That foreshadowing that, um, okay, what are you going to do if there's a blasphemer? Um, if it sets a terrible precedent for Rome to adjudicate a Jewish um, disagreement. So obviously that's setting up some pretty poignant foreshadowing um, of what's about to happen. So, um, and we know the end of the story. So, Again, we're just going to talk about some characters and then we'll get into the wedding. Then we'll get into to Mary. So John the Baptist and Nicodemus are a, a thread through the episode. Another thread is introducing these new apostles. So we know Simon, we know Andrew, we know James, we know John. You might have noticed, I didn't notice on my first watch, James the son, the James, the son of Zebedee is played by a different actor. So the chosen originally, when they released the first eight episodes. Um, so originally when they recorded, when they filmed the first four, they filmed four and then they filmed four. And so they actually have a different actor playing James, the son of Zebedee, John's brother in the, in the first four, he wasn't in the third episode, obviously then in the last four, um, you don't really notice that because James doesn't play a big role in one, two and one, two, and four. Um, they'll do that again because the actor that plays Big James, Big James as they call him, um, wasn't able to come for season two. So there's three different actors that play James, um, and I think they'll they'll try to stick with this actor for season two. But anyway, we're introduced to some new apostles. So we've seen James and John and Simon and Andrew, but now we're getting to know think people like Jude Thaddeus, who we had kind of met, but we didn't really know who he was. And then little James, who, again, we had met at Mary Sabbath dinner, but we didn't know. So um, so we have kind of these 12 apostles fleshing out and we're beginning to see kind of their camaraderie and their brotherhood, the teasing, um, like Jesus says to Mary, did you ever think you'd have all these brothers? And he's setting the stage that there will be 12. So we're introduced to these new apostles. Um, we hear kind of a backstory on Jude Thaddeus. Again, we don't know if Jude Thaddeus was a stonemason, um, but that's just kind of what they're setting up. That's what Dallas is setting up. And um, we'll talk about that stonemason imagery in a minute because I love it. But I love how Jude or Thaddeus, as they call him, Thad. Um, I love how Thaddeus says, um, he told me we were building a kingdom. Now, why is that important? Because it shows that Jesus speaks to us in that language that we can understand. So to Thaddeus, who's a stonemason, of course, Jesus is going to, to speak of building the kingdom in terms of masonry, right? Um, whereas the idea that with Peter and Andrew and James and John, he's going to talk about fishers of men, right? And so this, he's going to talk in imagery the way we would understand it. The parables are for us, Right. And so he's going to talk to Thaddeus about building the kingdom. Yes. He'll also talk about the cornerstone, not obviously in this episode, but, you know, that imagery could come out later um, as we see it in the Gospels. Right. Um, and so I love that that he speaks in ways that we understand. So we've met um, these new apostles and there's that that really neat little um, exchange with that. There's two Jameses. And so they decide on big James and little James or young James. 
And that's kind of a hat tip to our Catholic tradition. Traditionally, we refer to James as James the Greater and James the Lesser. And so that's kind of um, a, a, an indication that, you know, there are two Jameses. So how are we going to depict them? So you'll see in Catholic churches when they have listed the apostles, or you'll you'll see them reference as James the Greater and James the Lesser. And so here they talk about Big James and uh, young James or little James. So big James is going to be the son of Zebedee, the, son, the brother of John. And then we have little James, um, who we, had, again, we had already met at Mary's Sabbath dinner. Okay. We also meet Thomas in this episode. So we're really rounding out. We're getting closer and closer to these 12. Um, if you didn't realize it was Thomas, you might not have realized it was Thomas because it's not till the end of the episode, obviously, that Jesus calls him. But at the end, um, if so, if you didn't catch that it was Thomas, you might have missed this great little inside joke when Rama, who's with him, so Thomas is kind of the caterer. Um, they're the, from the vineyard. They're working with the, the food and the wine. Um, Rama says, Thomas is never late. One of my favorite uh, inside jokes of this series that, of course, Thomas is sometimes late, a.k.a. the day of the resurrection. Right. Um, so that you might have missed that little inside joke if you didn't realize that was Thomas the Apostle. Jesus also challenges Thomas in this episode um, as he's calling him because Thomas, he says, is always seeking that understanding, right? Um, but we won't always understand. So Thomas here reminds me a lot of Matthew that he things are supposed to make sense and he's always seeking reasoning why, right? Um, but we always won't understand. We don't always understand the way of Christ. We won't always understand the ways of God. Um, and so Thomas is seeking this understanding and Jesus kind of challenges him on that, right? You're not always going to get that, you know, proof. Well, he does the same thing after the resurrection, right? He seeks that proof until I, until I put my hands in the nail marks. Um, and so we, we really set this up as, as Thomas, kind of a character like Matthew, who wants that proof, who wants that logic and that miracle that he just witnessed. As Rama says at the end, like, we can't pretend we didn't see a miracle, right? So what do we do now that's going to, to um, affect Thomas, right? Um, okay, so we have these apostles. We have a little bit more character development with Simon and Eden. Um, I love the scene where Peter goes to tell Eden, Simon goes to tell Eden that he's been called. I love how excited he gets. He gets so excited. You know, he's worried about telling Eden. And then when he's telling the story, you see that excitement and that passion and that joy. That's the joy of the gospel. That's the joy of somebody who's been called right? Who's, who's seen the Messiah, who's been looked in the eye by the Lord God. Um, do we have that joy? Because that's the joy that's contagious. If we really believe the good news is good, we'll have that joy of wanting to share. And so I love that, that Peter kind of lights up um, when he is telling Eden the story and how excited he gets. I also love the fact that he uses the image of Elijah and Elisha of, of, of abandoning the, the plow um, that would be very, that's very um, authentic that these stories, these Old Testament stories would have been the stories that they used to illustrate their points. They would have been the the way they explained things because these stories were their family history. So of course, Peter would have used, Simon would have used that story because these were their stories. Um, you know, we might tell the story of some, you know, sporting event, or we might tell the story of some, you know, revolutionary war hero. 
this was their history. This was everything they knew and everything they held dear. So of course they would pepper all their conversation with this old Testament, the prophecy, the scriptures, they knew these things by heart. We'll see that in season two, right? The, um, if, if you've seen season two episode, the last episode, right? They, they just, they know these, these things, they know the scriptures. Um, Simon and Eden, they just have such a great relationship. I love their relationship. Um, you know, Eden is really depicted as having more faith than Simon. And she believes without ever having seen. I mean, did you notice that? Like, she doesn't need to see the miracle. She doesn't need to even meet Jesus. She believes. Blessed are you who've seen without, without, believe without seeing, right? That's Eden in this scene. She's been waiting and expecting the Messiah. She's been waiting with a longing that we can't even fathom for the for the Messiah, for the chosen one. And, and that's what Advent's all about, is putting ourselves in that, that place of the Jewish people who are waiting, 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 waiting. We can't even really fathom it. But we see that joy with Eden. She immediately believes. She immediately has faith. Simon says something important. He says, I don't want you to feel abandoned. And I think there was a question and I missed it as we were leaving. Christina, I think you may have asked a question or may have insinuated like, what about when Peter abandons Eden? Um, and that is, that came up, that's come up in every discussion group I've ever had on The Chosen. Everyone always says, what about Simon's wife, right? What about Eden? And would Jesus have asked Simon to abandon his wife? That doesn't seem just. Um, we're going to talk about this next week because it's going to come up again. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. So don't, so hang tight, but um, don't think that Peter or that, that Simon is called to abandon his wife. Um, I think we just assume that, you know, these guys are going to travel hours and hours and hours and days and days away and never come back home or that women wouldn't travel with them. So there's lots of things we're going to talk about. Um, I loved Eden's phrase. She says, when have we ever had anything easy? That's not our people's way. And I think it still isn't right. Um, that's not our way, right? You're not called to a life of comfort. You're called to a life of greatness to paraphrase Benedict the 16th, right? Um, we shouldn't forget that. When have you, we had anything easy? We are, we have the heritage of the chosen people and the early Christians and all the Christians throughout church history. We've never had anything easy, right? Um, it's just, we haven't, um, so, yes, I okay, so Christina, you're right. Some actually some um traditions are that Peter may have been a widower. So we know he was married at one point because he has a mother-in-law, but we don't see his wife mentioned by name in the gospels. So many people have conjectured perhaps he was a widower. Um so that is possible. But I think actually they do a very good job here um preserving that marriage and showing that Jesus wouldn't have asked his apostles to abandon um, commitments that they had made and natural, good, holy marriages that they would have already entered into. Um, and so it is possible that Peter was a widower, um, just to kind of respond to Christina to your to your statement. Um, but I think Dallas does a really good job in showing um, how it might have been possible that Peter was still um, in an active marriage with, with Eden. Um, one thing I want to explain before we move on from Eden and Simon is there is that statement Eden says, um, he says, you know, in some ways marriage was a liberation. Um, and she said, from your fear that I'd be bald. And just to kind of explain that, um, many of you probably know, but the, um, the Jewish people, the Jewish women would not have shown their hair 
to anybody not their husband. So they would have been covered. Um, Jewish women today often wear wigs out in public so that only their husband sees their natural hair. Um, and they've made allusions to this when Mary Magdalene worked for the hairdresser. They said, it's a shame only your husband will see it. It's so pretty, um, but that was Eden's thing. So, you know, there's that fear that what if she's bald? Um, and so that's just kind of a, a fun Jewish joke, I think. Simon and Andrew, I love their relationship. They're all really nervous. They've never followed the son of God before. They've never followed the Messiah. They're worried about the way they'll look. They're worried about doing the wrong thing. Um, it's so real. And again and again, I know I say that all the time, but that's what I really love about this show is that it's so real, right? I don't want to let him down, Peter says. Um, Andrew's like, we're going to do it wrong. And, Peter, and P Simon's like, we'll both do it wrong. And it's true, but how will they learn to do it? How will they learn to um, imitate the Messiah, imitate the Lord, imitate the master is by watching the master. So there's that beautiful imagery. Okay, let's get to the wedding. We're more than halfway through and I haven't even started talking about the wedding. So the opening of the episode, uh, the fifth joyful mystery, the finding of Jesus in the temple is wonderful. So honestly, I'm gonna say right now, I don't know how you watch this and think this show doesn't respect Mother Mary. Dallas again and again refers to her, Dallas, the, the writer, the creator, again and again refers to her as Mother Mary, Mother Mary. And I love that. Um, so I don't, I don't know how you watch this episode and think that this show does not respect Mother Mary. Why do I say that? Because of her role in this episode, they get it. They understand it and they understand it. I know they understand it by this first opening. So there's that a beautiful exchange, right? Where, um, you know, Mary's like, just give us a few more years. Like, I'm not ready for this. What does she mean? She's not ready for Jesus's public ministry. Right. And, and the Lord says, and Jesus says, you know, if not now, when, and Mary's just like, please like, give me more time. And it's obvious that this is mirrored then when she asks him to perform the miracle, right? That was an obvious mirroring, um, to show that, okay, it wasn't time when he was 12 to start the public ministry. Now it's time. And who's putting this in motion? But our, but Mary, but Our Lady. What are they putting in motion, right? And there's that beautiful image in when the overlay of voices, when Thaddeus is talking about being a stonemason, once you strike the stone, you're putting something in motion that can't be reversed. And that's when Jesus is standing ready to do his miracle. What are they putting into motion? Not just his public ministry, but his hour. This is the beginning. This puts into motion the journey towards his hour. And what's his hour but the cross? So, and I, I talk about this. I give a retreat on women in, in scripture and I talk about this with the wedding feast of Cana, that Mary's role at the wedding feast of Cana was not just this mom who was like, oh, they need more wine. I don't want them to be embarrassed. Now that's important. But her role was to set into motion the public ministry of Christ, which would lead to his death. That's what Mary was doing. That takes intense courage and selflessness. That Mary's had Jesus all to herself for 30 years, and now she's putting something into motion that cannot be stopped. She's saying now, now is the time. And I know what this is going to lead to. This is going to lead to me giving you to the chosen people. 
really surrendering you to someone else. And ultimately it's going to lead to your death, to your sacrifice. It's going to lead to your hour. That is the role of Mary at the wedding piece of Cana. And that's what they get in this episode. They understand it in this episode. Why? Because they juxtapose that beginning scene in the opening with the wedding feast at Cana. That's really important. And yes, it's, 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 it's um, highlighted, Christina, you're absolutely right. It's highlighted then with John and Nicodemus, right? We are setting this in to motion, not just the public ministry, but Mary's setting into motion the hour. She's setting into motion this sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. So that's the importance of the wedding. That's the importance of Mary's role in this episode that's so crucial. In the words of Eden, what does a wedding have to do with the liberation of Israel? I burst out laughing out loud when I heard that. Um, it has everything to do with it, right? Everything, because it's the wedding feast of the Lamb. How is Israel truly redeemed, true, the liberated, not from Rome, but from sin and death in the wedding feast of the Lamb, in the Mass? I think this is one of the most Catholic episodes. This is one of the most Catholic episodes of The Chosen. Um, so Christina, you're asking about the Blessed Mother. So there are other episodes in season two that have created kind of a controversy that Dallas actually, one priest went so far as to say that it's a blasphemy against the Blessed Mother. Um, and that's been repeated by some Catholic vloggers on their YouTube channels that I won't mention any names, but, um, a controversial, a guy who likes controversy has repeated this. Um, I disagree wholeheartedly. And um, when we do our season two recap, I will talk about it. But there is talk more in season two that they've blasphemed the Blessed Mother. And I disagree completely. And I think this episode is so beautiful and so Catholic. Um, so what does a wedding have to do with the liberation of Israel? Eden says it kind of jokingly. It has everything to do. Um, because Jesus in the wedding piece of Cana in John, in John's gospel, Jesus is depicted as the bridegroom, the bridegroom that's come to wed himself to Israel, to die for his bride and to liberate his bride um, on their wedding night, which is the cross. OK, so if you'll notice in John's gospel, you never hear about Sarah and Asher. Right. You never hear the name of the groom in John's gospel because Jesus is depicted as the bridegroom in um in John's gospel. So um, beyond that, beyond this like amazing wedding imagery that I think is so vivid in this, in, in this miracle. And e even in the way this is depicted in the chosen beyond that, I love this episode because it's so human. It's so human. Um, it's not a big, important wedding, right? As they're walking, Simon's like assuming it's this big, important wedding. And uh, Jesus, I love that line about, you know, Jesus, the most important woman will be there, my mom. Um, his first miracle, really, if you think about it, is kind of funny. And I think this really shows, like, so much of the chosen puts into our, our um, vision what we've kind of taken for granted in reading the scriptures. Like, oh yeah, his first miracle is making water into wine. Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Like, it's really interesting that his first miracle wasn't, you know, raising someone from the dead, wasn't curing illness, wasn't exorcising demons. It was, well, I mean, his first miracles in the chosen are, but public miracle is making a bunch of wine. That's kind of 
funny, isn't it? Um, now, of course, it's this imagery of the bridegroom has come. We see it in the Psalms all the time. The bridegroom's come to give um, rich, rich wine. Um, but it's 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 just this like really human miracle um, that then, yes, absolutely, Christina, like, like there's this backstory that they set up really beautifully that these people are going to be embarrassed um, because they're outclassed, right? Um, it's, and he saves them from that, right? Um, and so I just, I love this, this episode because it shows us so vividly what this miracle was so human. Um, we see this side of Jesus that again, I know I talked about it in the last couple episodes, but we see a side of Jesus that we don't see in any other Jesus movie. They have this perfect tension between God and man that he's a, he's a guy, he's dancing. He teases Andrew. How great are those lines? Um, this is really a Jesus that we haven't seen in any other depiction. I love the relationship between Mary and Jesus. I don't know if you caught it, but, um, and, and Jacqueline, you haven't watched the episode, so I hope I don't spoil anything. Um, I hope I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, you can listen, but, and I, I guess I won't spoil anything because you know, the end of the story, <laughs> you know, what happens in this miracle. Um, but I love when Mary, when Mary sees Jesus arrive at the wedding and she goes running over and like, he picks her up. It's so human. And then I don't know if you caught it, but Mary's Mary asks if he'd been eating. What a mom. Like that is just a mom thing to do, right? Um, have you been eating? And he's like, yeah, they're making sure I'm eating. So I just love their relationship. Um, after the miracle, she's scanning the crowd to try to find them. And they, they lock eyes and she mouths, thank you. Oh my gosh, what a tearjerker. And then just the look on Jonathan Rumi's face is that look of, of such love. Um, I have to wonder if the actor, if Jonathan, who's Catholic, wasn't thinking of the Blessed Mother at that moment because he just has this like contented love for, for his mother, just so visible in his eyes. Um, um, okay, I'm going to read. I'm not going to get started. I'm going to read your comments in a second. Um, so... When Mary arrives, I wanted to go back. I missed this. When Mary arrives and, um, you know, her friend Dinah's waiting for, you know, is surprised by her. Mary says, when your best friend is the mother of the groom, um, all these little comments, that's who Mary is, right? Um, she's referring to Dinah, but that's who she is. That she is the mother of the groom. And she's, like I said, like the importance of the wedding feast of Cana is that Jesus here is depicted as the bridegroom in the gospels. And he's depicted here very well in, as the, as the um, bridegroom as well. Okay. Did you recognize the barakah, the blessing prayer of the wine? They say it a few times. They've said it throughout. Jesus has prayed it um, um, over the bread that he ate in episode three as well. That those words should sound very familiar to us as Catholics the church doesn't make up these prayers, right? The church didn't make this up. We we uh, we we got this heritage from our elder brothers and sisters in faith, right? And so the barakah, the blessing of the bread and wine, is in the liturgy, is in the church's liturgy when we have um, the, the the offertory. So when that miracle happens, again, it's this it's this like 
goosebump goosebump inducing moment when the miracle happens again at mary's request the hour is put in motion you have that overlay of thaddeus's talk thaddeus talking about setting something in motion that can't be stopped can't be reversed it's exactly what mary does right mary sets this in motion knowing you know you can just imagine jesus and mary well you don't have to imagine we saw it in the we saw it in the chosen which makes it a lot more a lot easier to visualize jesus looking at mary like you know what you're asking, right? You know what this means. And she says, yes, right? Again and again throughout her life, she says yes to our Lord. Um, and this is it, right? This is what's happening. After this, nothing will be the same. Puts it into motion. I love the image as, as, as Jesus reaches into the wine um, and the, the wine rushes from his hand I don't know how you can't think of the blood rushing from his hand at the cross. Um, I think there's such a powerful Eucharistic uh, moment. You know, Moses turns water into blood in Exodus. Christ will turn water into wine at Cana and then wine into blood at every mass. Um, and so there's this Eucharistic imagery. I really think this is one of the most Catholic um, Catholic episodes that we have. It's one of my favorites. I'm going to scan your comments right now. So if anybody has questions or comments, put them in the bar to the, you know, put them in the chat. Um, and then I want to end with a little um, reflection. We're almost at 30 minutes. A little reflection on something that Rama says at the end. Um, oh, Christina. So the idea, so there, the idea that maybe, um, the bride and groom were Cleopas and Mary, wife of Cleopas. I like that idea. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard um, the idea that um, on the road to Emmaus, we have Clopas walking to Emmaus with someone else. And um, I one time heard an interpretation that it was his wife, Mary. And I loved that interpretation, that this was a husband and wife walking on the road to Emmaus. Um, I've never thought about the wedding being um, Clopas and Mary, the wife of Clopas. Um so don't, but don't be grouchy. This is just one interpretation. We'll find out once we get to heaven who it really was. Um, so if there are no questions or comments, um, if you haven't watched episode five, go watch episode five Monday. So we're going to take the weekend off Monday. We'll be looking at episode six, um, which is another fan favorite. We're really getting into some pretty powerful scriptural moments in the next three episodes. So uh, stick with us, either binge watch over the weekend or, um, you know, rewatch them. But I want to end our little time together by reflecting on what Rama says at the end. Um, she says they're marveling at the miracle, right? Um, oh, Christina, you didn't like this. Oh, I loved this episode. I would love to hear, like, those of you who have seen it, what your favorite episode is. Um, I know Christina's watching it kind of in real time. So we'll have to wait till the season's over till you find your favorite episode. Um, I Not that many people have told me that this episode's their favorite. Um, as I mentioned, Dallas, I think, says episode four is his favorite. Um, some people think episode three is the best. A lot of people like episode seven the best. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be interested in finding out everybody's favorite episode. But so Rama at the end, um, they're kind of marveling at this miracle. Thomas says, you know, he's asked me to follow him, to meet him in Samaria in a few days. And they're kind of just marveling at what does this mean? And she says something profound. She says, he gave us even more than we need. 
I think that's an important reflection on the gifts of God and um, Christ's ministry. You know, Christ came in this public ministry and to the observers of in first century Israel, he was healing. He was, you know, exercising. Um, he was multiplying bread and, and making wine. And But he came to do much more than that. And he came to do things that they couldn't even imagine, namely save them from death and sin. Um, and so he gives them more than they need in that um, the gifts that are visible are just the the ice the tip of the iceberg of what he's really come to do. But even for us in our everyday life, you know, so often we might pray a prayer and um and ask for something and he has something so much greater in store for us. You know, sometimes our prayers aren't answered. We don't think, right? We've asked for something in sp- specifically and he hasn't granted that petition. But then we look back, you know, 10 years later and realize he gave me something much better that I just didn't even know to ask for. Or he answered that prayer tenfold and I just didn't even recognize it in the moment. And so I think to remember that the that God's our loving father who always has our best needs in mind, right? He always wants what's best for us. Sometimes we don't know what's best for us, but, um, you know, he might answer our prayer and give us more, right? Give us a hundredfold. Or he might appear to not answer our prayer but actually give us what we need and what would benefit, what would benefit us the most. So I love that line. Um, He gave us even more than we need. It's not just that he gave Peter more fish than he needed, or they gathered extra loaves and fishes after the multiplication of the loaves, right? This is a thing with him, right? He, he's over, he's overabundant in generosity. His generosity is in abundance, but I think we need to recognize it in our own lives as well. It's not just in the scripture story, but in our own lives, he's giving us more than we need. But are we recognizing it or are we stubborn and selfish and close minded? Um, So I am going to I really liked episode one, season two. Just oh, yeah. Um, Episode four. Yeah, that's episode four, I think, is really when like stuff's like, oh, here it's getting real. It's getting real. Um, yes, Christina, I would give it another, another watch. Um, don't, yeah, don't, um, it was, it, I just love, I loved Andrew's dancing. I loved that joke. Maybe I'm just a corny sense. I have a corny sense of humor. Um, Mm, yes, Jackie. Jackie says at mass today, the priest said we have a sinful nature that's robbed us of God's. I just called you. Ja- I just decided your name is Jackie. Is that okay? I mean, I think you're ja- Are you Jackie on Instagram? Why have I like nicknamed you? Um, at mass today, the priest said we have a sinful nature that has robbed us of God's presence. I found yes. Episode four. Absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, Yes, Christina, the letter of Paul, where he talks about the measure pressed down and overflowing, right? That God's giving us everything we need. Okay, I knew you were the same Jackie, but I couldn't remember if you were Jackie on Instagram. So now I just like too familiarly nicknamed you. Um, But um, oh, okay, I'll call you Christy too. Okay, see, okay, so I said this, we'll end here, but I said this yesterday. I really love kind of the community community that gathers when we do these live things. Um, I think if those of you follow Mountain, we see the same thing happening kind of in his Tipsy Tuesday, that someday we'll all meet and we'll just know each other by our screen names. Um, but I really, I really love it. So I hope you feel welcomed. I hope you feel loved by me. I hope you feel welcomed into this community. Um, and I hope that we join together on Monday to look at season 
there's episode six. Um, it's another good one. We're putting a lot into motion now. So we have our four main characters and we're going to see what uh, episode six has in store for them. So there are no more questions. I'm going to call it a day. Um, but thank you very much for joining us. And I will see you Monday, same time, same place on Monday. So God bless.